Verse 20. No, sorry. So that's the one contrast. The one contrast is you were under a law that made no one perfect. But on the other hand, we have a better hope introduced through which we draw near to God. Okay, so hopefully by now, after seven chapters, I think we can all agree that a Jesus who is God and man, king and priest, who dies on the cross for you and brings you into heaven, into the presence of God, saved by faith, not through works, is way better than constantly trying to obey all the time and cranking out hundreds of sacrifices when you screw up. So that's, that's, so that's now what he's getting to. If the law did not perfect anything, but yet now we have Christ. Why in the world would you want to go back to that after being wowed by Jesus for the last seven chapters? The law is good, but the law is nowhere compared to Christ. And that's important. The law is good because it comes from God. But don't you dare elevate that up to Christ. And that's what he's going to go to now. Okay, Christ is far superior to the law. The law could not perfect, but Christ can. The law did not atone for your sins, but Christ can. The law did not bring you into the presence of God, into heaven, but Christ can. The law does not allow the Holy Spirit to indwell in you, but Christ can. So why would you want the law? On the one hand, we have a law that cannot make you perfect. But on the other hand, we have a better hope that allows you to draw near to God. Because here's the other thing. You and I, especially you and I, not being Jews at all, the closest we could ever get to the glory of God is that courtyard. And that's after circumcision and a whole lot of jumping through hoops of sacrifices and moral perfection to prove yourself. And even if you're a Jew... That's still the closest you can get unless you're a priest. And the priest was only allowed in the other room, then only the high priest once a year. And then even then, you only got to a ball of fire. Now, don't get me wrong, it'd be really cool to see a tornado of fire that goes from earth to heaven for over a thousand years with no fuel source. And has lightning coming out of it. Don't get me wrong, I would really love to see that. But at the same time, would you rather have a ball of fire that has no fuel source? Or would you rather be face-to-face with God Himself in a relationship? So you go back to the Old Testament, the closest you could get to is a courtyard to a big heat source. Cool and awesome and God. But not like Christ who ushers you right into the heavenly place and sits you on the throne with Him. Not as God, but as redeemed. It's a better hope. Okay, that's a better hope. Why would you want to go back to the law where you have to chug and plug and you don't even get anywhere? Verse 20, And since this was not done without a sworn affirmation, for the others have become a priest without a sworn affirmation, but Jesus did so with a sworn affirmation by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are priests forever. So which would you rather have? A human that keeps getting replaced by another human, another human, another human. And we all know what humans are like. They're not faithful, they're not dependable, they're sinners. And depending on what kid you get that year, he might grow up to be a total scumbag who's just in the priesthood to manipulate you and have power over you. 
And even if you end up to get lucky to get the kid that grows up and be as a priest who's not spoiled and overpower you, he still can't do much for you because he's sinning all the time too and has to make sacrifices for you. And that's the only reason he's a priest, because he just happened to have the right genetics. Or would you rather have a being who God came down and said, this is the one that I picked, and he pleases me, and I've never said that about any other human. They weren't sworn in, and they weren't pleased. They did not please God. But he was sworn in, and he pleased God. And even more than that, he's God's son, which that argument's already been made and proven. To see all these angles he's coming at, the law couldn't perfect. They were just humans. They didn't get you that much closer to God than what you already were just living your life as a sinner. I mean, really, you know how big the tabernacle was? The courtyard was 150 feet. So if you went through all the hoops and obeyed the law and did the sacrifices and all that kind of stuff, you could get it 150 feet close to him. If you were a horrible scumbag that murdered and killed everybody all the time and didn't care, you could get 151 feet close to him. But Jesus will bring you right up face to face with God and take away all your sin. Does that make sense? And I'm really, truly, and not trying to slander or demean the tabernacle or the pillar of fire because I think that stuff is the coolest thing. And I get really excited when I start talking about the tabernacle and the pillar of fire and all the meanings and all that kind of stuff. So don't get me wrong, I'm not putting that down. I'm only using the words of the author of Hebrews, weak and useless. Okay, But at the same time, the law, the covenant, the fire, the tabernacle, the sacrificial system is really, really cool. And there's a reason why I can hold both views in my head at the same time. Okay, so please don't misunderstand. I'm not knocking it. I'm not tearing it down. I'm not slandering it. But in perspective, when you sit the law and the sacrificial system in a pillar of fire next to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in heaven, they pale in comparison. That's the point. That's the point. But without the law, you would have no Jesus. And that's what we're going to get to. That's why the law can still be good. So the Lord has sworn, verse 22, Accordingly, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The law guaranteed you nothing. The law guaranteed you nothing. Back up a little bit. The word set aside in verse 19, that's the same word that you would use when you cancel out an incomplete governmental law. You annul it. You strike a line through it and you say, we're killing this law. That is the same word. The only time we ever see that word set aside in 1819 is in Greek like law codes. When somebody strikes out a law and completely gets rid of it. Verse 23, And others who became priests were numerous. Alright, so, sorry, let's back up. Verse 20 through 22, The first reason that Jesus' priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood is that Jesus was sworn in as a high priest under an unchangeable oath made by a God that cannot lie and does not change his mind. The first way that Christ is superior in verses 20 through 22 to Levitical priesthood was he was sworn in by the oath of God who does not change his mind and cannot lie. Verse 23. And the others who became priests were numerous because death prevented them from continuing office. 
but he holds his priesthood permanently since he lives forever. So he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. The second reason that Jesus' priesthood is superior to Levitical priesthood is that the Levitical priests were finite in their priesthood since they were always dying. And I already kind of mentioned that. Do you want a priest year after, maybe year after year, maybe decade after decade? You never know, depending on their lifespan. The priest is constantly changing on you. You get maybe a scumbag one year and then a good guy the next year. Or you get to the book of Kings, there are none of them really good. Okay, you read the end of Judges, and those priests were really jacked up. Okay, one priest cut his wife up into 12 pieces. And he's supposed to be teaching you morality and atoning for your sins. Okay, these guys keep dying over and over and over and over and over again. Do you want to follow a priesthood that's finite and keeps dying on you? Or do you want to follow a priesthood who conquered death and resurrected himself? That's the second reason that Christ's priesthood is superior to the, the Levitical priesthood. 26. For it is indeed fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need to do every day what those priests do to offer sacrifices, first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this in an offering himself once and for all. For the law appoints a high priest men who are subject to weakness, but the word of the solemn affirmation that came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. The third reason that Jesus' priesthood is superior to Levitical priesthood is that the other priests were sinners and had to sacrifice for their sins and then for the people. And Christ didn't have to sacrifice for his sin because he was tempted in all points of the scale, yet without sin. So would you much rather have a priest that has to sacrifice a bull and a lamb and all these other things just to atone for his sins, but doesn't really completely make him perfect or save him, just so that he can go into a pillar of fire and sacrifice for the sins of the nations, which isn't really going to make them perfect either? Or would you rather have a being who is completely perfect and never ever sin, and he can go in and he can offer himself up? And I would add here, the fourth reason that Jesus is superior to the Levitical priesthood, and I don't have that typed up, and that's my fault, is because he offered himself, where the priest offered an animal. It's easy to grab an animal and throw it on the altar and slice its throat. It's a lot harder to slice your own throat for humanity. He offered himself as the sacrifice. So if we've proven that Christ is perfect, therefore his sacrifice is perfect because he offered himself. And if the blood of an animal is what makes a covenant, then his covenant is superior to the Mosaic covenant because it was his blood that made that covenant. Does that make sense? And that's where we're going next. Where we're going next is the only way you can have a covenant is through his blood. But the blood that made the Mosaic Covenant were animals. But the blood that makes our covenant is Christ's blood. So if Christ is perfect, His sacrifice is perfect because He offered Himself. Therefore, His covenant is perfect because it was His blood that anointed and initiated the covenant under Him. 
So it's not that the law is done away with and you can do what you want. It's the law set aside to put a new and superior and better one in place. And he made a one-time sacrifice. Not over and over and over and over again. Which means his sacrifice is completely efficient and sufficient. It's efficient in the sense that it accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished through a sacrifice. It made you perfect. But it's sufficient because it atones for all people. And there is no need for any more sacrifice. And he's going to reinforce that point when we get to chapter 9. Yes? Is there still a high priest in Israel today? Good question. In a nutshell, you cannot have a priesthood if you have no place to make sacrifices. And God made it very clear that the only place you can sacrifice is in the temple. But they don't have a temple. Now, what's really cool, you can actually put the temple on the temple mount, and it can be in the exact place that it was in the ancient world, and the Dome of the Rock can still be there. Now, what's not cool is there's no way you can have the temple of God sitting next to the Dome of the Rock, and that's why they don't build it. Technically, the Muslims control the Temple Mount, and there's no way that you could ever take that tabernacle or temple and put it right next to something like that, the Dome of the Rock. Therefore, you cannot have a temple. Therefore, you cannot have a priesthood because there's nowhere for the priests to serve, and you can't have a sacrificial system because there's nowhere to sacrifice. And the other thing, too, is the only way that you can atone and sanctify the priest is if you sacrifice a red heifer and mix its ashes in with all this water and that kind of stuff. But that has to be done in the tabernacle, which you can't have because there is no temple, which means you can't purify the priest and you just get in a cyclical pattern. So they're doomed. So what do most Jews believe? That's why a lot of them have just kind of gone to the point of works and obedience. They just really try as hard as they can to be as obedient as they possibly can. And they just hope to God that He'll smile down on them. Yeah. They just try to be as good as they can and obey the law as much as they can. And that's why... And the, all, the, the great and what is the heart of the law? Cleansing and purification. This is why kosher is so important to the Jews. So important to the Jews. Now, once again, that's a nutshell. And there's, there's all kinds of Jews. There's Orthodox Jews, there's Reformed Jews, there's Conservative Jews, there's all different kinds of breakdowns on what they believe and all that kind of stuff and how they tell. But in a nutshell sense, it's just basically a lot of Jews today just believe that the Bible is just good moral lessons for us. And we just try to be as good as we possibly can but because we'll all end up making it eventually in the end, there's really no need to like stress yourself out too much with obedience. Which, basically, welcome to the New Age movement, and a lot of Christians believe that, and all that kind of stuff. So that's not a Jewish, that's just a human thing that we kind of shift to. So yeah, I don't think, well, I can prove it with the Bible. It's not an accident that the temple got destroyed just a couple, a decade or so after Jesus died on the cross. Because Jesus made it very clear, tear down this temple, 
Three days I'll rebuild it. And they did not know that he was talking about his body. He's the new temple. And I don't think you're going to see another one. Okay, and then I'm not going to the book of Revelation on that one. So. Um, <laughs> so, if the Levitical priesthood and the Mosaic law failed to make people perfect and was never intended by God to last forever, why would people want to put themselves back under the law again and again and again? For their hope of drawing near to God. That's the reality. If you can't obey the Ten Commandments, if you're not doing the sacrifices anymore, then why even say that we're still under the law? Especially when there's something far superior that's put itself in its place. 